Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Wells Mason. He is the owner of Ironwood Industries and he is an American sculptor and designer. He has works that uh, span the globe as well as he has a really interesting corporate role, which is one of the three jobs he's ever held in his life. And I think the first one might have been Paperboy. We're going to talk about design and we're going to talk about the things, the nuances of design and and some other exciting stuff along the way as well. So Wells, welcome to the Talk Design Show. It is an honor to have you here. Really pleased to see you. Tell us just a little bit about your background and your passion, I suppose, to kick off. Okay, uh, I guess, and thanks for having me on the show today, Adrian. This is a uh, this is a real uh, privilege. It's a, uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the conversation. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I'm originally from uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. I moved to Austin uh, uh, back in the '80s. Uh, went to college and never left. Uh, just fell in love with Austin, Texas. Had never been to Austin before. Didn't know anybody here. Got off the plane and uh, and and experienced Austin for the first time. Uh, ever and just uh, uh, just uh, I, I adore Texas, uh, but I'm still a Georgia boy uh, at heart. Um, I've got family all over the country, um, uh, uh, but Austin's a great place to live, and it's a it's an it's, a, it's been a great place to build my business and discover who I am uh, as an adult. Um, so uh, I grew up around woodworking, metalworking. Uh, my dad was a woodworker. My grandfather was a uh, a machinist. Uh, in fact, I've got a lot of their tools in my shop. Um, I love that. I, yeah, it's a, uh, it was a great experience growing up. Hands of the- history, like hands of history imbued with it already. Like it, it's got the history and the love and the, the, the knowledge already put into the machinery based on the people who used it before. Exactly. But I, I didn't know that the, uh, the work was, uh, was something that I was going to be drawn to as, as an adult when I was a kid. I mean, it's just being, being around it, uh, gave it a kind of familiarity that uh, that that uh, that made it something that when I became an adult, uh, I took to it again and discovered a, a real interest in the tools, in making, in craft, in design, uh, and in uh, and in art and sculpture. And so, uh, uh, so a lot of the tools I've got belong to them. I, I still use some of those tools. Uh, my, my my shop. I've got a wood studio and a metal studio. And uh, and also a finish room and a design office. In fact, that's where I am right now. I'm in a uh, I'm in my studio in Copeland, Texas. Yeah, wow, how cool is that? You know, we were chatting earlier, and uh, you were saying, telling me something about your studio in Texas. And uh, a, a guy called Stevie Ray Vaughan came up, who I'm a big fan of his music. And um, you're in Texas, and it did rain there yesterday, so uh, wasn't a flood, but. Um, Texas Flood would be one of my favorite songs. Tell me a little bit about your studio. You were saying you bought it. It's out in Copeland and um, that Stevie Ray Vaughan recorded there. Uh, yes. So I've had my studio in Copeland uh, since the late 90s. My studio used to be in uh, in central Austin and uh, I needed more room. And uh, and so I drew a circle. I got a map 
Uh, this was back before, uh, you know, uh, smartphones and, 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 and digital maps. I got a map, um, a paper map, and drew a radius around Austin and figured that within a 30-mile radius of Austin uh, would be a good distance for me to uh, still uh, work with the clients in the Austin area, get materials, but uh, uh, see if I couldn't find a, 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 you know, more space for the work that I did. And, uh, and I found a couple of buildings for sale in downtown Copeland, Texas. And Copeland is an interesting town. It's a, it's a single intersection. It's a handful of 100-year-old brick buildings. There's a church, a bank, a saloon, and a couple of artists. And, uh, and, and that's it. And so, uh, uh, so that's where my studio is. And um, uh, uh, before I got my studio uh, back in the 80s, this, of course, these buildings have got a lot of history. Uh, it's uh, just thick brick walls and high ceilings. And uh, uh, this town's been been through a lot of different uh, different experiences uh, since it uh, since it started. Uh, my shop's across the street from railroad tracks, and beyond that, I see miles and miles and miles of farmland. Back in the '80s, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan performed uh, his last ever music video um, at my shop, at my studio. In fact, you can see in that music video, it's a video called "Change It." It's on YouTube. It's 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 fantastic. I'll uh, find he, a link to post with the podcast. Oh uh, yeah, you can you can see him walking down the uh, the busted up broken sidewalk uh, in front of my studio, and you can see the front windows and doors to my studio. Um, when I got my shop, these buildings, the rear of the wood studio uh, was a stage where uh, where he performed. And in fact, even to this day, you can see the stairs that lead up around either side of the stage. And one set of stairs leads up to what I, I built a bathroom there and then a, a full bathroom. And then the other set of stairs leads up to a door that leads into the office. And the design office overlooks the entire building, the entire wood studio. So that used to, that stage is now my design office. So it's a, it's a neat building. It's, it's a neat town too. It's a, it's so cool that like I've got a, a another friend in Texas, his name's Tim Brown, Tim Brown architecture. And um, Tim moved from, Oh, he was out by Bee Cave and he moved from there to Dripping Springs. And um, I'll hook you up, but uh, fabulous guy. And, and, and he bought a little historic building in Dripping Springs. And it's, but there's a Masonic Lodge. Then there's a strip of older buildings that have been refurbed. They would have been like storage sheds. There's a bar and some stuff. There's a great coffee shop. There's a couple of other little shops around Dripping Springs few supply shops things like that but it's it's little it sounds bigger than copeland but mm -hmm. not much bigger and um i when i go to texas i often will go and uh hang at tim's studio for a couple of days and just work while i'm away i'll i'll, I'll hang there and work and i can be back in my studio in uh, australia essentially virtually but working in tim's studio but he's restored this old building as well which i think there's a lot to be said for that one of my um I suppose heroes of uh of thought is um, Yvonne Sherard from Patagonia, you know, and he says, well, we don't take a, a location like in a mall or something like that. We take an old building and we restore it back to what it could be because right. our brand's big enough that people will come mm -hmm. and, and we, we keep it honest and we keep it real. I just love that kind of aesthetic of, and, and thought pattern of how do you do something that adds value to something that already was there? 
how do you create something? I love, I love that. I love the fact that Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, has uh, has been at your place as well. Like that's so cool. And, and just again, it, it means that the texture and fabric of the place was something special for them to have even scouted it as a location and to have it. And that's a, another depth of it. Yeah, there is no doubt. There's a uh, um, uh, the building has got um, uh, just things embedded in the brick. I mean, I've got a. Uh, there have been snakes that have fallen from the rafters. Uh, there have been uh, there. I can tell you the story of the red lady uh, uh, that would spook you out and everybody on this podcast out to no end. Um, oh, you got to tell us then. You can't uh, you can't throw that in like a like a hook in the water and not take us on the journey. <laughs> okay, uh, have you got have you got a couple minutes for it? I'll, I'll try to give you sure, that. sure. This would be fun. Okay, so uh, so the red lady, um, uh, the um, uh, back in the early two thousands, about two thousand three, no, about two thousand five, two thousand six. Uh, my daughter um, uh, was about six, seven years old, and one of my favorite things to do. Uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, at the time, I also owned a house in Copeland, about three blocks away from my studio. And on Sunday mornings, one of my favorite things to do was to come down to my studio uh, in the morning with a cup of coffee, and she'd watch a movie uh, and uh, in my office while I was doing a little bit of paperwork. And we'd walk into my studio, and, and of course, there's transom windows above the front doors. We wouldn't turn the lights on in the shop in either of the buildings but there's light coming in through the transom windows that would kind of illuminate uh, the, the studios uh, enough to get, make our way back to the design office. And of course we had a giant, we have a giant plate glass window that overlooks the wood studio. And so we're in there and she's sitting there watching a Barney, you know, uh, uh, you know, movie or something while I'm doing some work in my, in my office. And, uh, and, uh, and then suddenly she's sitting up. There was at the time there was a sofa underneath the window, the plate glass window. And she said, uh, uh, and then suddenly she gets up on the on, on the sofa and she's looking out the plate glass window and she says, Daddy, Daddy. And I said, I said, what? And she says, Daddy, there's somebody in your shop. And uh, and keep in mind, like 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, the doors are closed, the lights are off. And, uh, and I said, uh, I said, where? And she says, Daddy, she's right there. And she's pointing to something in the shop at the very front of the shop. Uh, and, and, and her eyes are watching this thing walk through the shop and you got to thread your way around the tools to get back to the design office. And she's following it and tracking it with her finger. And I'm like, Addie, what do you see? Tell me, describe it exactly. She says, daddy, daddy, it's the red lady. And I'm going, Whoa, but I don't want to scare her too much. I, I don't want to feed into, you know, any level of, of, of just, uh, I don't want to scare her. And so uh, I said, well, uh, Addie, what's she doing now? She's, she says, Daddy, Daddy, she's climbing closer. Daddy, she's angry. And I said, well, what does she look like? And she says, Daddy, she's all red. And at this point, I'm freaking out. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm holding it together because, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, you've I, got a kid there. <laughs> I've got a kid there. And, uh, and so uh, I said, well, Addie, where is she now? She says, Daddy, she's right there, which is right below the plate glass window in front of the water fountain. And she's, and she's, and I watch her eyes and she's watching something walk over to the stairs that lead up to the door to the design office. And suddenly she gets up off the sofa. She runs over to the door to the design office. She puts her hands to the door 
and she says, Daddy, Daddy, she's on the other side of the door. And, uh, and I'm like, I said, well, let's not open the door, Addie. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm freaking out. She's freaking yeah. out. Uh, suddenly, uh, uh, I'm like, what, what, what's happened now? What's, what's happened? She says, Daddy, she's gone. Daddy, she was angry. Uh, and, and, and that was it. That was the story. So I don't know. I, I've never experienced Well, it made my hair stand on end. Addie saw something. I don't know what she saw, but she saw something. And um, about two weeks later, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I didn't know what had happened. I don't know where this came from. I didn't want to I didn't want to grill Addie too much about it because I didn't want to, 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 to create a sense of something in her young. Oh, yeah, especially body. a fearful sense. Uh, yeah, that was, but but you know that they say that at that age they they have a greater propensity to see to see these things. They're more aware. Yeah, and we, we it off. And so about two weeks later, I was at the Copeland Inn, which is about two blocks away. Uh, it's a it's a dance hall. It's also a restaurant and a bed and breakfast. And um and uh and it's a it's a honky tonk. And I was sitting down uh, in the restaurant uh, uh, about to order something, and the owner who I know uh, was walking around saying hello to people uh, at the tables. And he came up and said hello, and we started talking. And uh, and he said, um, uh, and so we're talking about uh, about the ghosts of the Copeland Inn, which is they've got ghosts there in the Copeland Inn. And I said, well, well Larry, let me ask you, do you know anything about the Red Lady? And he said, and he stopped. His hands fell to his side, and he looked at me. And he said, what do you know about the Red Lady? And I said, I described the story that I just described to you. And he said, son of a bitch. We just had the red lady exercised from my building about two weeks ago. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, uh, crazy story. Uh, that's, that's just the beginning. There's things like that. You know, you live in an old building. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like in a 1000 year old building, but a, uh, a 125 year old building, there's going to be some stuff that gets left behind. And, uh, wow. Wow. Uh, and, and you're right. Architecturally, uh, I love the building because you see the the different phases of of neglect and 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 uh, uh, and then repair. And I, and that's yeah. what I've done with these buildings. And I and I've tried to maintain that sense of of history, but also modernize the buildings. And I'm still working on it. Uh, but uh, but I love having the, uh, my studio here. This place is a uh, it's a great place for me to work. It's it's a very it's a creative space. For me, yeah. I, I tell that story to people though, and they, they're definitely looking over their shoulder when they're when they're out here. <laughs> Man, it gave me the chills. It gave me the chills. But you've got a bit of a habit um, of uh, you know having interesting buildings. You know, we were talking earlier about Marfa, Texas, and uh, <laughs> you used to own a maybe what, what would we call it a, a, a house that was a bordello at well, some point of uh, yeah, yeah that's better the, um, the house of ill repute but uh you didn't run it that way uh well uh, that was uh, the story there is that uh back in the 90s um uh soon after donald judd passed I, i've always been a huge fan of his work in fact you'll see uh, uh influences of his work and my work uh, uh no doubt uh but when he passed i think that was in um uh, I think it was in 86, uh, possibly 92. Um, soon after the town of Marfa was, uh, was kind of, um, uh, was aimless. It, uh, it didn't, it didn't know where it was going to go. And, uh, at the time two uh, the two different, uh, organizations that, 
that were the uh, uh, essentially managed his estate, the Chinati Foundation and the, Ch- and, and the Donald Judd Foundation, they were warring. They were battling over who does what, who manages what, who gets what. It was it was part you know, family issues. That was you name it. But um, at that time, um, the town was uh, was adrift, and uh, and and that's when I discovered. Uh, first went out to Marfa and, and bought property out there, and and owned property out there for several years, uh, including a four acre piece of property on the edge of town. And uh, and I had a studio out there. Uh, it was right north, just north of the railroad tracks on the west side of Marfa. Uh, one of the last houses within the city limits. So I had, you know, city services. Uh, that was uh, actually people. interesting that it was within the city limits as yeah, well. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was, which was is a big deal for those of people on the yeah. call. That they, they get the value. Right. Of uh, I was about uh, to say, houses of ill repute are usually just outside of the city limits, aren't they? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. On, on the railroad track, it was called the old stagecoach inn. And, uh, and it was a, uh, it was a 4,000 square foot house, two story house, uh, seven bedrooms and, and, uh, uh, gajillion, uh, or rather yeah, seven bathrooms, a gajillion bedrooms. I mean, it was a, uh, it's a big house, you know, four bedroom, four bathrooms, seven bedrooms, a big right. kitchen, uh, uh, just a lot of land, uh, a neat property. We did a lot of work to it. And, uh, and when my, my children were born, that's when I decided to sell it. But, uh, uh, we've got stories from uh, from that property too that I'll tell you about sometime. It's I, a, uh, I bet you it's got some ghosts. <laughs> it, it's, got some, it's got some good stories. Uh, a lot of wildlife. Uh, Marfa. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, of Donald Judd. I'm a huge fan of a lot of the work that's being done out there by different architects around Texas. Um, uh, yeah, I've also uh, 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 just uh, adore the uh, the. Uh, the textures of far west Texas, which, yeah. in my opinion, aren't unlike what you see in uh, in in Australia and parts of Australia. So it's yeah. a uh, so uh, uh, for that reason, I'd love to visit Australia sometime. Honestly, well, we've got to get you here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, West Texas, like you say, it's it's a big landscape, and um, parts of Australia uh, are a huge landscape as well. And and you know, even like you go up to places like Montana as well, you know, big sky country. And I never really understood what big sky country meant until you go and see a big sky. And I had some friends who are photographers who just recently came back from Argentina and um, they said, Oh my God, that was big sky country. And then they're drawn to it. You know, they, they went to Namibia and they said, there's another big sky country just where the landscape is. um, It can be so flat or so just like, positioned like this that the sky takes over everything hello you hello. must be jessica yes, I am. <laughs> hey jessica i'm adrian let me let, let me introduce jessica yes yeah, do that please so uh, so uh my wife jessica she uh she and i um uh are uh, uh we run ironwood industries uh she is an interior designer and she is also an architectural hardware specialist and uh and that's nice. her role at ironwood and uh, and she uh, she knows a lot of the stories that I've been telling you about these buildings. Uh, and she's also been a Marfa with me, so she's uh, she likes Marfa as much as uh, as much as I do. So we've been we've been swapping stories about uh, about Marfa and Copeland and Australia. And Copeland and old buildings. We've been talking about old buildings, but now that you're on the scene, we've got better things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> about the Red Lady, which. Uh, you haven't seen her yet, uh, but it's a it's a it's a wild. Hopefully story. you don't. Hopefully yeah. you don't. Yeah. <laughs> she looks um, sometimes when she's here alone. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Living. Living in the same space. Mind you, you know how to get rid of her. You just exercise her, and she'll go and beat up on somebody else in another place. You know, um, uh, there's more to the story, uh, but so so I haven't felt the need to do that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Like, so she's she maybe isn't like being that grumpy anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think she's pretty grumpy, but but it's a, it's according to Daddy, she's very very angry, and and she's got a she's got. She's got a pretty gnarly uh, backstory, uh, but that's a that's another podcast. All right? we, we will do that. We will do that story. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but um, yes, uh, uh, yeah. So this is uh, this is Adrian. He and I met uh, during the AIA Austin uh, Homes tour uh, last yeah. uh, last year. year. You know, you know they're doing that virtually this year. Yes. So the Homes tour is virtual this year. I'm gonna. Um, I'm just actually about to got it on my list for next week to talk to Ingrid and um, start a promotions thing for it here in Australia through the AIA here and also through a building designers association of Australia um, and, and a bit broader as well. We're, I'm going to interview her for the podcast as well and put that one out. Um, like your one here won't go out till December, something like that. So okay. we're, we're recording quite a few in advance. Um Jessica, quickly with you, um, you're an interior designer and you've got a fascination for hardware and you get Wells to make you hardware from time to time because he's a sculptor. Yeah. What's your What's your passion with, uh, you know, with interiors? What is it that lights you up about that? Um, just that I really believe in the healing effect of a space. Um, I have a history of just health issues and so being at home, it was my sacred space and... I always wanted to make it personal. And then um, my aunt's in a wheelchair and she had had a fire and so um, in their house. And so they, we had to basically redo a lot of the interiors and her being in a wheelchair. I just realized how much making selections and really getting to the nitty gritty can make her life easier. And, and anybody else, you don't have to have a health issue, but just when you come home from work, like, how do you feel where you can unplug and just, so I like the residential aspect of design. Um, I do like commercial interiors, but I just love the impact that design has on your mental health, your emotional health, and just kind of also for your connection with other people. Are you in a safe space to do that? I, I, I draw like new houses and renovations and um, I love interiors. I actually, we don't do very many. We we don't do very many interiors at all, and we only really do interiors now for people who we've done their design of their renovation or their their home. But what you said then, when it's um, it's a transition. It's a space where you feel safe. It's a space where you can feel relaxed. There is something about when even when I start designing a house, it's about the connection with the person, and then that connection. People live inside houses. They don't live outside houses. And so making that connection and the safe space and the health part of that as well, um, hugely the health part of that, like how does this environment um, take people a, a step higher and, and, and support them? Like, and it could be subconsciously supporting them. How does it do that? Um, and it, it creates what I say the house becomes the home when it really does that successfully. Exactly. And interiors are like, 
intrinsic to how people feel. Space and volume and stuff like that has a massive effect, but how you actually put the interior together, and people often are lost in being able to do it for themselves because they just don't have um, probably the depth of experience and knowledge to know that, you know, you learn something from one client that you pull and plug into another client and, and, and modify it and customize it when you plug it in to make it theirs. And all of a sudden their journey opens up. It's like reading something in a book and you go, ah, oh, of course. Or, you know, you, you have a conversation and somebody says something and you go, ha, yeah, you know, there's a guy I interviewed, um, Jeffrey Dungan, and he's an architect in um, Alabama and he does the most beautiful stone house, houses. And he said to me, he said, we're not looking for projects. And he had this beautiful southern drawl that we're not looking for projects. We're looking for people because with great people come great projects. Exactly. And I was like, oh, isn't that the truth? You know, yeah. I'm no longer looking for projects. I just said to my, blew my mind. I, I, I went and said to my wife, who's a business coach, I said, get this, get this. You've got to tell you about this. And I told her and she's like, how beautiful is that? You know, like, and when you just, just that little shift and that's what happens in interiors, that little shift, that little tweak of the dial and everything flows. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's special. And, and doing that, connecting it to the landscape outside as well. It's so that it flows through so that you can have that. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful discipline to be an interior designer. Um, because you actually get probably even more than the architect. You get uh, architect or the building designer gets to make the space and the interior designer gets to create the space within it, which is, yeah, it's special. It's about the people. She's uh, Jess is also uh, very involved with the American Society of Interior Designers uh, in Texas and in the Austin area. Um, uh, and she's also uh, like me. She's she's interested in giving back to the community. She's uh, yeah. uh, she helped with the uh, the Salvation Army project uh, in the Austin area last year. And uh, and she's uh, even when she was a student in school, she was very involved with uh, with community projects, uh, with community first project so, in Austin and others like that. So a question with that. So a lot of people aren't um, kind of like very aware or focused on. Um, the, the ease and the ability to give back, um, you know, like we have a foundation in our town and my wife is actually the chair of the grants committee on that and has been involved in it from the day it started. We both have, but she's more than me. Tell me, here's the two of you, and obviously this works because it's the two of you, but like you have this thing about being able to give back and to be able to see on a big picture of how, your contribution can, and others' contribution can be harnessed to make places better to be. Um, tell me a bit about that from both of your perspective. Sure, um, I'll, I'll start. And, um, so, so for me, I, I started giving back or learning the value of it when I was in college. I, uh, um, as part of one of the classes I, I, that I took, um, I was uh, we were all required to do to work with a nonprofit uh, like one hour a week, and so I chose to work with an after-school program. Uh, in uh, in East Austin, and uh, and it was such a fulfilling experience that I, I did it uh, two and sometimes three days a week. I was teaching the kids to play chess, and they picked it up so 
fast. It was, uh, it was, this is elementary school students. And, um, and then, uh, but then after that, uh, when I got into my career, uh, and so that was a very rewarding experience for me after that, when I got into my career, you know, starting out like everybody, uh, probably that's been on this call that works for themselves, it's, you struggle, it's hard. Uh, but then what I discovered is sometimes, uh, and this is an important, this is an important piece for me is that sometimes when I couldn't help myself, I could always help somebody else. Uh, uh, sometimes when I was stuck or when I, I couldn't, uh, uh, push a project through or, or, or land a project or, or get in touch with that person that was going to hire me for that, for that, uh, commission, um, I could always help somebody else. And whether that was introducing somebody, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, another trade or another artist to somebody that, that I thought they should meet or, uh, or, or just uh, encouraging somebody or attending their talk, uh, which is huge. Showing up for other people uh, when they have an exhibit of their work. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. And, uh, and I think that's huge. Uh, even down to being uh, offering to be the first person to arrive at somebody's house when they're having a, a business cocktail party so that you buffer the next person that arrives to their house. It's stuff like that that you can do for other people and I and and I've done that ever since, and, and it's become a, um, a a big piece of what I do. And so these days, I'm 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 taking on bigger projects uh, uh, in my role as a community activist. Uh, but it's uh, I think you get it back in a hundred million different ways, and, and it's you can't quantify uh, what come back comes back to you monetarily, and uh, and 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 that's and that's okay. But it, it comes back to you in a hundred million different. Mm, that was like one of those moments. If I can't help myself in this moment, I can certainly help someone else. Always, always. Uh, Jacqueline I just love Kennedy, that. Uh, uh, you know Jacqueline Kennedy, uh, 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 JFK's wife. Uh, uh, the story I heard about her is that every morning uh, when her children were, were young, she would wake them up in the morning and she would sit on the side of their bed and she'd say to them, children, uh, or, uh, you know, children, what are you going to do today to serve your community? And, uh, and I always thought that was an amazing, uh, uh, way to, to create wonderful citizens, uh, that, that are, are not just taking, but giving back. So, uh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do today? What are you going to take from the world today? No. What are you going to give today? You know, larger, you... small, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a very, very small thing. Like, like you said, it could be, you know, like if somebody just needs somebody to be there first. Yeah. Don't count, count on me. I'll be there first. But nobody would ever do that with me. They'd go, no, you won't. No, you won't. You're always <laughs> late. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's just that thing of um, it, it can be that simple. It can be that simple. Or being the person who will make the call um, to, to somebody. You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, da, da, da. Yeah, I, you, you know, somebody should go, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take that, you know, yeah. like I'll make that call mm -hmm. because it moves the world forward. It pushes the needle just a little bit. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, yeah, give us your shot. Well, very similar. I want to be the person that is just the one who shows up and who is there. And I mean, if, I, if anything, I can give my time. You know, I've never had a lot to give, but I can give my time. That means more than most or mm -hmm. than much anything. So it's just always just showing up and just being a, like a good servant, I guess, and just 
knowing I don't want to depend on somebody else to do something that I know needs to be done or can be done. So if I know how to do it or if I know that I can learn along the way and provide something and teach somebody something or show up and be there to support somebody else, then I'm going to do that. I'm not going to depend on somebody else to do that. I don't, I'm not good at delegating. <laughs> so I just delegate myself to that. And so, I mean, yeah, since college, even when I was in high school, I was always a part of some organization that was always being given back. Whether it was adopting, you know, somebody to teach them how to read, go to elementary Well, school, you know, being, being the kid that shows another kid around. Yeah. yeah. And, and caring for them in that moment, not not just being there, just caring for them and taking them. You know, like it's it's fascinating. It's it gets lost so quickly when people um, are scrabbling to make money instead of scrabbling to make a life and um, keeping a balance where there's some of that in each side of it. We we moved to this community 20 years ago where we live and um, we we bought a house, my best buddy and myself and his wife and my wife bought a house together and we decided we we're going to renovate it and flip it and all these kinds of things. Anyway, that was our plan. And we had a, a, a house next door to us who had an old lady who lived in it and she had quite a bit of land. Anyway, her name was um, Sybil Whittle and she was like, oh goodness, I don't know, maybe quite frail, very thin, frail old lady, lived on her own and would have been in her late 70s or something like that. Anyway, we met her and we met her son and her son was um, a, a a guy who he had, he, he retired, but he wasn't like he'd retired with, you know, millions and millions of dollars or anything. He'd retired from just sort of public, uh, sorry, from um, work. And they, they originally had owned the local newspaper. So her husband, Sybil's husband, had bought the local newspaper one night in a bar. And um, anyway, they owned it and her son had worked for there. And anyway, longer story there. But we met this lady, Sybil, and uh, she's like one of the old people from this area. And where she lived used to be a tobacco and banana farm. And it since then had been gardens and her son would come over and... Uh, Anyway, he, he said to us one day, he said, you know, would you keep an, just an eye on my mother? You know, she's kind of losing it a bit. And, you know, if, if just if you see anything weird happening, because we were at home the whole time and um, just, you know, just yell out to me. And we were like, yeah, of course, man. Like, of course we would. And, you know, to the point where we would see her in her garden, we'd see her fall over and we'd, you know, race downstairs, jump the fence and go and pick her up again. And he started well, he was one of the biggest founders in the Budrum Foundation, which is a model foundation for Australia, for founda- for, for town foundations in Australia. Mm-hmm. And he had retired, um, and basically his wife was a school teacher as well. She hadn't retired. He um, was one of the key founders in the Budrum Foundation. He set this whole thing up, but he'd, he'd set his whole life to just being philanthropic from that point. Mm-hmm. And raising money for this community and raising awareness for this community. And um, we kind of like hooked into that. And as I say, like my wife, she's now a, a chair of a, of a sub of, of a committee in the Budrum foundation, one of the few board members. Um, and yeah, just, she's the youngest, I think, but my daughter who is my oldest daughter, who's 17, she just joined the marketing committee of the Budrum Foundation this year. 
And I go, there's a legacy that starts to drop. And, you know, like my wife and my eldest daughter, they do a lot of um, stuff with giving back to overseas as well as community. They were in Africa last year um, supporting a charity that we work with in Africa called um, Chimpezi Child Ministries, which is uh, looks after kids or rehabilitates and looks after kids who um, have been part of child sacrifice and child mutilation. It's pretty hideous, um, but amazing man. And we met him through another guy who's on the podcast later in the year called Bruce Campbell. And, um, you know, they went out there in Africa and worked with them and did a whole lot of stuff. And um, just that depth of of being able to give is so so key, so key. You know, mm-hmm. but I love that when you said that, if I can't help myself, how can I help? Honestly, we need a lot more of that. I mean, uh, uh, I think it's the only way that we're going to we're going to survive this. Uh, this certainly this very, very dark moment in our. In our you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that's really key. And in, in, um, America's got some big things facing it right now, as well as like the globe has with the pandemic. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, on to brighter subjects. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, if you want to go, you can go. Don't feel like you have to stay, but you're more than welcome to stay as well and put your two cents worth in. Okay, it was nice meeting you. Hey, lovely to meet you. I look forward to seeing you in Texas. So tell me, like you're a sculptor and an artist, and um, we'll we'll talk about that sort of that real passion of your work. Tell me a bit about that, and then tell me if somebody wanted to be in that industry, if they were an, an audience member listening, and they were like, "How do I be there? How do I how do I do something? What 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 are the first steps? What what do I know now that I didn't know before?" So give it, tell us a bit about it first, and then tell us that. Okay, uh, so. Um... So what I'm doing now is, uh, is I've got a wood studio and a metal studio, and, uh, and I'm doing a lot of studio furniture, uh, a lot of sculpture. Um, I've created a, a, a body of work that's very, uh, that is very, I think, recognizable. Um, I've, uh, it's won awards. I've, I've sold it. I've exhibited it in galleries and museums. I've, uh, it's been featured in magazines, uh, regional, national, international magazines. Um, and, uh, and that's been a, uh, uh, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that I've found my voice as a, as an artist, as a designer and a sculptor. Uh, and I blur the two. I mean, um, uh, I'm not strictly a designer and, I, and I'm not strictly a sculptor. I, I like to kind of, um, I like to mix them up a great deal. I like to create a little bit of chaos. Um, I can tell you that when I was first starting out, uh, and I still do, I, I love to, uh, to exhibit my design work in uh in in art museums i love to show my uh my sculptural pieces in uh in craft shows i love to uh uh, i love it when uh my uh my non-functional work uh is uh is misinterpreted as something functional when in fact it's not uh and 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 i've had a lot of conversations with people about that so i like to blur the lines between furniture and sculpture uh, and, uh, and I like to use a lot of reclaimed materials in my, uh, in my work. In fact, a lot of the work that I, that I do, uh, uses anywhere from 50% to a hundred percent reclaimed materials like telephone poles, use telephone poles, reclaim lumber from demolished buildings, uh, um, uh, uh, crushed aluminum cans, uh, old ship masts, 
uh, you name it. Uh, uh, the materials come from from all over, and uh, and so that to me is uh, it serves two purposes. One is that I find the materials um, and they are uh, they're they're often free or they're they're inexpensive, and I'm I'm and I'm able to reimagine or repurpose the materials, which I think uh, comments on on our consumer society. And so you see these these repurposed, recycled, reimagined materials in a lot of my work. And uh, uh, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle, but it is it does provide a commentary on our our consumer society and the fact that we send so much to the landfill. Um, uh, so as a, as an artist and a designer, I, I think it's true of buildings too. I think that architecture needs to do more of that too, rather than scrape a lot, find a way to reimagine a lot, try find a way to uh, to to uh, to hold on to the history of of that architecture, no matter how um, uh, you know just neglected or no matter how badly it's disintegrated. Find a way to uh, to honor. Uh, the fact that it's gone through these decades of renewal and neglect. And I, I think that's true of, uh, that should be true of architecture. It should be true of our urban landscapes. Uh, um, so, uh, so that kind of describes my work. Uh, uh, I like to, uh, I like to mix it up and I like to make sure that it, it challenges people and, and, and hopefully starts conversations about, uh, about um, what is design, what is art, uh, yeah. what is object. And, uh, and it's, it's been an interesting journey. And, uh, and, and this line, it's, it's called the Amasi collection. I, I've had a great deal of success with it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm still, uh, uh, I've been doing this line of, of work for about 15 years and, uh, and I've shown it in, uh, uh, at the national building museum in DC at the Jones center for contemporary art in Austin at the society for contemporary craft in Pittsburgh at the Houston center for craft in, in, in Houston, just all over. Um, so it's been a, uh, that's my, uh, one of my lines of work that I'm, I'm probably best, best known for. Uh, and I'm still excited about this line of work, this series. With, with that, if somebody was um, wanting to do that or, or have a similar sort of career path, what would they do? You know, they'd, uh, they'd, they just dive in. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily need, I was an English lit major and then suddenly I'm designing and building furniture and creating sculpture. And, uh, and I'm doing things that people are going to tell you, no, you can't do that. People like you to stay in your lane. They love that. You know, artists, artists. As much as you like getting out of it. Oh, I, I, I don't like my lane. I'm not really going to stay in my lane. That's a, uh, that's something that, uh, that, that, uh, if anything, that's going to go on my tombstone. Um, uh, I'm not, not a big fan of lanes, uh, and I, I don't like to draw inside the lines either. So, so people will tell you to stay in your lane and don't just, uh, just, just mute them. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, people, uh, especially people in a certain industry don't necessarily want you to succeed in their industry. It's uh, it's really interesting. Artists are some of the worst designers are some of the worst, uh, creative types, uh, you know, uh, abstractedly. Uh, they want us all to rise, you know, uh, to rise, but, but individually, maybe not so much. So not so much, don't listen to the people that, uh, that, that don't support you, but find the people that do. And, uh, and the people that do, uh, will support you because they care about you. They believe in you. Uh, they, uh, they see something that, uh, that, that resonates, uh, uh, for them. 
in, in the path that you've chosen. And, uh, and uh, the rest, like I said, just mute them uh, and, and, and follow your passion. Uh, so uh, whether you've gone to school or not, like I said, I was an English lit major. Uh, you know, I, I could, my specialty was 17th century British poetry. Uh, and, uh, and then, and then suddenly, uh, uh, these days I'm doing, um, I'm, you know, building furniture and I'm, yeah. uh, or making uh, a gate or, uh, gates, fireplace screens, reception desks, uh, light fixtures, uh, uh, contemporary abstract sculptures, benches, chairs, uh, you know, uh, I'm also designing spaces, uh, but, but differently. And so, uh, I, I guess the idea is, uh, is, uh, if you're interested in something, uh, explore it. There's so many different ways to explore something new these days on the internet. Find a, uh, 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 identify your, your heroes. Uh, that's yeah. something I tell students all the time is, uh, is even now, I mean, I, I can list, I can list my heroes. I can tell you people I'm listening to right now. I think that we all need to have our heroes at every stage in our life. Uh, back in the day, my heroes, when I was first starting out were people like, uh, Sam Maloof and George Nakashima, uh, uh, Donald Judd and Isamu Noguchi and uh, Charles Green, an architect that uh, that not a lot of people know of these days. Uh, uh, I'm a huge fan. Um, uh, but fast forward, you know, 15 years, I've got a whole new set of heroes, and not that I've discarded those heroes. Uh, no, you've uh, just you've as your journey's growing, you've you've found others along the way. More heroes, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I've got like Jason Silva and uh, Simon Sinek, and uh, obviously yeah. uh, Zaha, you know, uh, Hadid, and just just a whole slew of them. People that have uh, have found their way, carved their way, carved their path, and uh, uh, they're unapologetic, uh, but they're they're doing it boldly, and uh, and uh, and at some point. Um, they've established themselves as, hey, I'm going to do this, like it or not. Uh, you can, you can either, you know, uh, 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 join me on this journey or not. Uh, With you so, or without you, this is the journey I'm taking. That's what yeah. I would say to any young person or any, any person that wants to explore something new is just, just dive in and make mistakes and fail epically. And then, and then, you know, uh, uh, just kind of learn from it and fail again and, 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 and keep trying and just keep uh, failing forward, keep failing. failing forward, but just keep moving forward regardless. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. uh, but I think you can learn a lot on the internet. Um, I learned most of what I know about, about, uh, about design just from reading and from studying and from asking questions and, and I'm still excited about it, but I've also, my interests now have just, have just blossomed into, everything from poetry to architecture to industrial design to community activism to uh, uh, you name it. It's, it's all over the map. And, uh, and that to me is, is a good way to be. Uh, well, people, the listeners, you know, the audience here, um, if they take a quick look at your website and also beyond your website, which we'll post all this, but um, your social media, um, you know, your hundred years project, um, just like things like this, you'll see that uh, Wells is by all means an activist. He's a disruptor. He um, he's playing and uh, he's playing in a great space and, and he's very mindful of what his play does. Actually, that's probably the big thing I like. You know, one of those big major moments with you is, is like you play with purpose 
Um, and there is so much thought and so much depth behind the moves you make. It's not play for just self-satisfaction. It's play for betterment of others. And, and that comes back to that thing about being able to do something for somebody else. Um, and, and know that, yeah, you trust that you've got a voice and you trust that your compass is true north and, and you keep moving with that. And it's, a, it's so empowering and inspiring to see. Um, it's just a lovely way to, to aspire to live by. You know, to, to play in your true north like that. It's... Absolutely. The, the hardest part is, uh, is, is reminding yourself that your direction uh, can have lots of, of misdirections and lots of sidesteps and lots of detours and, and all those things enrich the journey. And that's, and that's great. So, uh, so for me, it's a, uh, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited that, uh, that Jessica, who you met earlier is joining yeah. me for the journey. It's a, uh, um, she, uh, she is, uh, uh, she's been uh, a great accomplice in everything. She's a kindred I'm spirit, that's for sure. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's, it's fun. And it's nice to meet people like you, too, that are also uh, uh, on my journey, but on your own journey. Uh, and uh, and, and I, I look forward to following yours as well. I think that Do I, you know, starting the podcast was about um, a couple of things, but the, the pure just get selfish part of starting the podcast for me was about, I want to spend more time with people who I'm inspired by. And I used to collect them when I'd travel, but when traveling got closed down, um, I was like, okay, well, how do I, how do I do more of this? And it was a bigger journey than I thought to create the podcast, to do Mm -hmm. it, to do it nicely. Mm -hmm. And it's been fascinating. You get, you get to peel the onion, you know, on people a little. And it's a bit pressure cooked because of the amount of time you've got to do it. But you go, oh, there's just so many beautiful parts about it. And you're giving people a chance to talk about themselves as well, which is really lovely because that's we, we need that, you know, we need to hear. And um, it, that was my pure selfish reason was I want to be around more people that inspire the hell out of me. And I want that to be bigger than just in my own local community. I want it to be my global community. And I want to be inspired by the people that you're inspired by. So, you know, like I, I'm like, if, if, if Wells, you're inspired by somebody that we can talk to, I want to talk to them as well. I want to be at that cocktail party, but virtually sitting in a podcast and then give that out to the you know, thousands of other people that can listen to it as well. And um, I think that does, that does um, make all our communities more healthy uh, uh, by by uh, that positivity, that enthusiasm, that passion, that giving back, uh, uh, that that feeling that you found your way, even if it's not a way that makes sense to a lot of people around you. Um, uh, still, it's a uh, it's a way that 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 feels right uh, inside. And so, um, uh, I I like to encourage people on their path. And uh, and yeah, uh, and and it's it, it's it's. Uh, the more unusual your path, uh, I, like you, I've, I've collected a, an odd assortment of people, and, I, and they are some of the most uh, dear people on the planet to me. Um, uh, you know, just mean old sculptors and, uh, and you know, people I went to, to school with, uh, people that I've, I've met in the most unlikely places, uh, and people that, I, that I, I know a half a world away. 
Um, yeah. This project that you mentioned earlier, uh, the next 100 years project is is an example of that. I mean, it's- Will uh, you tell us a, a quick bit about that? Because I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's, it, again, you think big and you think on scale and it's um, it's a beautiful project. So please do tell us about sure. 100 years. I'll, I'll give you the, the quick recap on it. The uh, um, I know we're running out of time here, but- um, That's good. But, but like, like your podcast, um, I created this project called the Next 100 Years Project back in March. When things, when I first caught wind of things really going sideways here in the states, this was about several weeks before things really, you know, turned. Um, I'd read some reports from other countries and and thought this is coming and it's 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 we can't avoid it. Um, uh, and I started thinking about what I could do to help uh, to help uh, to uh, to plant a seed of of hope. Um, and so then everything went sideways, lockdowns, quarantines, things hit in March, but I'd already started building, uh, putting together this project called the next 100 years project. And with this project, uh, what I'm doing is inviting creatives from around the world, uh, to submit their vision of, uh, of a hopeful post pandemic future. And, uh, and the first edition is for architects. And uh, hopefully there will be other additions for chefs, for fashion designers, for musicians. But with the uh, the next hundred years project, I've invited uh, uh, creatives uh, uh, to start with architects from all over the world to submit their vision for the next hundred years. And uh, and uh, the stories I've, I've I've read and the people I've heard from is just it's like that in itself has been a reason for the project. I've I've spoken to. Uh, to people, students that have recently graduated that, that can't find a job and they're terrified about their future, uh, architects in places as far away as Uzbekistan and Italy and Chile and uh, you name it. It's, uh, it's been this, this massive project. Uh, it's entirely online. Uh, they're sending me drawings and descriptions, 100-word essays of their vision for the future. And, uh, and, and by this, I hope that uh, to be able to put together a, a a snapshot of of a particular point in time that we're experiencing right now, uh, but also uh, uh, maybe give these creatives uh, something to think about that maybe they hadn't thought about uh, about that small detail that they could develop in order to to help their community or that broad brushstroke of a different landscape uh, that they could suggest. In order to provide a uh, a, uh, a, uh, a a healing agent for for their community, so that's the purpose of the project. It's uh, it's online. It's uh, it's very much uh, in progress. We've uh, uh, we'll be uh, 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 I guess displaying some of the initial drawings here real soon on our uh, on our social media channels. Uh, but we're doing doing this project on the side. Jessica is helping me with it. I've also got a team of advisors helping me with it, and uh, several. Uh, very, uh, very amazing architects that are, that are helping me uh, judge the entries for the project. So, uh, so that's a neat project that I'm doing, just as a way that I'm trying to give back and also provide some some semblance of hope uh, in spite of the uh, the uh, just the the darkness. It, it, as you say, it's also a snapshot of time, and yep. um, you know, if we don't imagine the future. It won't turn out, you know, everything is manifested. Everything is built from the imagination that we do as, as human beings, you know, like 
And if we don't put it out there of what it could be, then it will never be that. To, uh, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, he says that uh, to, in order to, uh, to create the future, uh, you have to imagine it. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's true. Uh, uh, we have to imagine that it could be a, a beautiful, wonderful place uh, filled with diversity, a place for everyone, uh, living in health and, and, um, and, and, and equity. And, uh, and, and that's, that's really a big piece of this project. Um, uh, so I'm excited about it. Uh, stay tuned for more. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah. uh we'll uh, talk uh, about it some more. We'll talk about it more we'll, for sure. We'll do something just on the hundred years project, maybe get two or three different contributors and we'll put them all on a zoom together and do a podcast like that, huh? It's a growing project. Love to do that. Uh, let's some of do the, that in the future. Let's just, are just are, wow. Uh, uh, uh so I, I'm, I'm excited about it, but we'd love to yeah. share that with your audience. Yeah, that would be really cool. That'd be, I'd love that as well. I've got a bunch more questions, but we probably should leave some for later <laughs> for another podcast. Um, one of the things that uh, just tell me quickly about, you know, you've only ever had three jobs and one of them's right now. And um, in those three jobs, this one is a corporate role and that, you know, they sought you out and found you and, and you've set up for them and, uh, the difference between like just running your own studio, which I know you still do, you've, you've got your own body of work and then you're doing this corporate role as well. Tell me just sort of like, again, from the perspective of somebody who's maybe dissimilar, you know, they've got their own studio, they've got their own direction they've, and that's precious and, and they that will never go. But then they take on this kind of corporate role on the other side to help. Again, if you look at it from the point of view of um, being a change maker, you can change, you know, a handful of lives around you in a in, in your studio role, but when you go and you work with a corporate, and you can tell us a bit about them, um, of the volume and size that they do things, how then you can touch so many more people. And they never know that you've been part of that touching, but that you can touch so many more people um, and touch the world in a better way. So give us a quick one on that too. I'd love that. So what you're talking about is my role. Uh, uh, I am working with this company called BMC, and it's a uh, it's the it's now um, uh, the largest building materials supplier in the country. Uh, it's uh, it's just mer merged with a company called BFS and like 26,000 employees, uh, locations in 42 states. Um, BMC recruited me to come work for them about five years ago. And, uh, and I'd never worked for a corp, you know, for, for the man, I'd never worked for corporate America. Uh, and it was, uh, but the timing was right. I thought this could be interesting. I had done projects for BMC for years as a vendor. Uh, so from the nineties, I'd been doing ornamental iron work for BMC for their doors, uh, for their, uh, their production, uh, uh, building projects for their custom, uh, doors for custom builders. And, uh, and then they recruited me to come work for them to help build their new design center and represent, be an ambassador of their new uh, BMC design brand. And, uh, and I thought, sure, uh, I'll, I'll see you. Uh, let's, uh, I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I can pull this off. This could be interesting. Uh, going into it. Um, you should have I, been wondering if they could do it, not you. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, because to me, it's been, it's been a, it's been a, been a trip uh, uh, working uh, with my mindset 
um, inside a company like this because I come to it from a sense of, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur, a designer, a, 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 a builder, a craftsman. And, uh, and suddenly I'm, I'm working alongside people that haven't had the experience that I've had uh, and that haven't had this experience from the customer side that I've had. So, uh, so I can see both sides. Uh, I'm a huge asset now to, to a lot of BMC's customers because I can actually make waves uh, and, and cause change from behind enemy lines, uh, so to speak. Not that BMC is the enemy, but I'm actually right. I work both sides of the, uh, the playing field and I, and I see both perspectives. And uh, so it's been an interesting role. Um, uh, now I'm, I'm no longer a leader at BMC. Uh, I'm more of a soldier, uh, but I'm a soldier that likes to disrupt and, and I get in trouble all the time, and that's, and that's fun and, and, and interesting, but I'm always getting in trouble because I'm doing things that are in the best interest of, of the company and our customers. And, uh, and so they, they tolerate And the planet, and the planet, because and your recycle nature, your, your, the way that you approach your own design, um, and, you know, like you can find, as you said, a telegraph pole or whatever, and, you know, like, a company like that has huge wastage it has huge you know manufacturing inefficiencies stuff like that so beyond just uh product design it's um it's cultural design it's like you said before you know you slipped in there you know a hero like simon sinek and mm -hmm. um i actually interviewed a guy just recently a guy called paul dunn and he is um you know him and simon are friends and uh -huh. um you, you've got to love when you get to minds like that, that they change the planet um, yeah. and they change the way we look at view culture and, and human behavior. Yeah. It's really valuable, really, really valuable. So again, this is what you're doing. In planet. Uh, I think we can all make a difference. We can all change the planet. We just have to, uh, uh, to take those small steps and, uh, and we, we have to believe we can. And I, and I think that, that, uh, the people that inspire me most um, uh, across the globe are people that have shown me that that I can do something uh, different, that I can make a difference, uh, whether it's through my designs, whether it's through my sculptures, whether it's in this corporate role, whether it's, uh, 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 you know, in the community. It's just, uh, it's just uh, I believing think, that you can be. I think you're so, you can be so, so right. You're so right with the, the thing that everybody can make a difference. And one of the other things that really highlights in talking to you, and it's a belief of mine, is is that to I, I grew up, my father's an artist, a fine artist. And I grew up in a world with art around me all the time. And I never really understood what it was like to experience a world without art around me all the time um, until I experienced how other people lived and they didn't have paintings and they didn't, have sculptures and they didn't have things like this and I was like oh wow okay it it was a it was yeah it was just different and I suppose I think that there's so much value and and, and this is why you know public artworks are so valuable for the people that don't come from a, a family where there's craftsmanship or um, that around them then we have public art artworks and those public artworks actually get to tell a story and put 
the the value of art, which is so so high and gets lost in the value of money too often, mm-hmm. but the, the value of art into the public space so that people can interact with it. And um, we as designers who 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 stand on this box that says that we're designers and um, we are responsible for really being able to change how everybody touches, feels, sees, and views everything man-made in this world. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, it's a big responsibility. It's a, And to do it from the point of being an artist is the closest to being connected, you know, like whether that be connected spiritually or to the earth or whatever, that's that it's, and to our other people, art is that way through. It's like music connects people. Art connects people, and it's um, when you take it from like you were describing, you know, when it's like recycled and stuff, uh, and it's you know taking old and repurposing and doing this kind of that is art. It's 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 a responsibility, and it's a um, and it's I'm a betterment for everybody. Yeah, now my I'm... kids they'll get a hand down, you know, like T-shirt or something from their cousins, and I. I had this first time I ever happened to me. I was like, oh, do we want hand-me-downs? Um, and, and, yeah, I went, my, my daughter said, I love this because it was so-and-so's. And, and my mind went, boom, and I went, it, from then on, every piece of clothing that they've ever got is filled with love from somebody else. Perfect. That's it. That's it. I, go, I would rather that they actually got something that their cousin wore or something and they go, I love their cousin loved it and they want to give it because of their love gets transferred to the other. And I go, what a, what a better way to see the world. What a beautiful, you know, anyway, that's well, just well, me. The fact that you grew up around, uh, around with your dad painting um, uh, for years, I've, I've considered that, that my kids, I've got, now I've got a 17 year old, a 14 year old and they, uh, I've always said to Jess and to friends that, that they, until they get older, until they become an adult, they won't realize how, how different their childhood was, um, being exposed to, uh, because, you know, with me, uh, yeah. uh, because, you know, I know that, that the things that I, that I've, uh, that we've done together, that I've ex- exposed them to, and the things that I've taught them, uh, not everybody learns those things, and uh, and and they think of me as, as just just kind of whack. Maybe at some point they'll think of me as kind of cool. Uh, but but if Maybe anything, not. Uh, if anything, it's uh, it's been um, uh, I I I really um, am, am grateful for the opportunity to uh, to to give that to them, even though they don't appreciate it now, just like you appreciate it now. Uh, I think years from now they'll appreciate every whack thing that I've done <laughs> as a dad, and that to me is—I'm uh, uh, waiting for it. I might not—I might not be here to see it, but uh, at some point, uh, you know, my dad's it. ninety-one and um, ninety-two actually, and uh, I go—I look back and I go, you know, for all the you know crazy stuff that he wasn't particularly crazy, but the stuff that along the way I just know instinctively. Um, and it wasn't instinctual. I learned it when I was young. Now it's just part of the fabric of who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look at my my kids, you know, I've got a, a, a 17 and a 10-year-old. And um, 
the fact that they've grown up around, you know, a family of giving and a, just just that kind of stuff as well. Just, yeah, just incredible. Like giving and art and um, appreciation for art and mm-hmm. appreciation for business um, and, and how valuable business is um, and how business has this ability to help others so much you know whether that just be by what they deliver as a product or whether it be by what they can give greater than that mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's a very blessed very blessed existence we've uh, we've got a lot to teach and uh and you and i and and, and everybody on this call uh everybody yeah we've got a lot to teach and i don't take that lightly uh i consider that a a a, a pretty weighty responsibility and uh and i'm not gonna miss my opportunity to uh uh, to leave behind something of value. Uh, uh, I love that. In all the different roles that I'm playing. So, uh, yeah. Well, that has been fascinating, man. I've got to thank you so much. <laughs> um, really, really cool. I've got some. I've got a big page of notes here, and there's. Uh, I'll follow up with some emails to some people I want to introduce you to as well. Great. Um, okay. Yeah, it just just fabulous. It was lovely to have Jessica on as well. I want to get Jessica back to actually talk more about um, her interior design stuff. So we sure. might, yeah. in the future, put together a podcast with her um, because with her fascination and her depth of involvement in the um, in the interior design business and community beyond that, that would be really cool. She's really, really cool. Inspiring. Huge help uh, for me with the next one hundred years project. In fact. I could not have done it without her. She's uh, she's been instrumental in this project. So uh, so um, uh, so yeah, I'd love for her to, to tell you more about that as well. That'd be a really good one. That'd be really cool. So we're going to post this. Um, as I say, it'll be a few months out, but uh, it'll be posted, and we will send you all the details and stuff. But also, um, we will have all your social media links, etc., uh, up and running there. And uh, along the way, if there's stuff that comes along on the, along the way, please just share it with us and we can start adding that in as well. That would be brilliant. Yeah. And I look so forward to like uh, cocktail hour when we're sitting in Texas and uh, or if not Texas, somewhere else in the world. Um, or Australia. And, and, yeah, Australia. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I've got a few guys who want to get out here um, from the US and uh, that'd be really nice. And uh, get them here and do a couple of things here as well. Like go and see a couple of things and meet some other people that are in like industries here that um, they can start building a network with. Well, That'd love cool. to have you out here uh, to visit our studio in Copeland uh, sometime. And, I'll, and that's, I'll be there. That's true of everybody on this call. Uh, uh, just, just let us know. We'd love to show you around. There's a, uh, it's a pretty interesting town. Um, uh, one block over, there is a sculpture garden by a, uh, that is run by a, uh, a 78 year old sculptor who's got his works in museums and sculpture gardens all over the world. And he's, uh, wow. he's a block away from me. Uh, he's got a sculpture garden smack dab in the middle of downtown Copeland. So, uh, uh, love to have you out here. I promise I'll tell the, uh, uh, the red lady, the red lady behave herself. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, but, but by all means, uh, uh, come out and see us next time you're in the States. Awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Go and have a great evening. Enjoyed it. You take care. And thank Jessica for me again. Cheers, buddy. I will. Take care, man. Bye.
Petrie from the Architect Marketing Institute, and this is Richard's Magic Arrows. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. So the problem with winning great design projects is you have to sell, and no one likes selling. So the secret is don't sell. Be like a doctor do your diagnosis first. Now I'm going to give you a very simple tool today which is going to change everything. Don't sit there and talk to them and explain why you're the best. Ask questions. So the first question you're going to ask is what do you want? And then you're going to follow up with why. So what do you want? Why? What do you want? Why? And then you can follow up with why, why, why? You're going to peel the onion and find out what they really want. If there's anything that I've learned over the years and that I've actually become good at myself, it's finding people's hot buttons, finding the core driver that's driving their decision making and driving everything that they want. And you can do the same very quickly. Okay, so what do you want? Well, I want the best house in the street. Why? Well, I want to be seen as successful. Why do you want that? Well, as a kid, my family always treated me like the last kid in the family. So you want a house that makes the family realize how successful you've become. That's right. That's what I want. Now that's very different from the best house in the street. You might design a house that makes the family envious different than you would design the best house in the street. What if you asked a different question of someone else? What do you want? Well, I want a blue, soft colors, uh, pastels. Why? Well, I want the place to be re relaxing. Why? Well, I work a hard job and, and I get really stressed. I'm having problems with my health. So you want a sanctuary where you can come home and recharge. That's exactly what I want, a sanctuary. Now, designing a sanctuary where someone can come home and recharge might be very different from building a house that has blue and soft colors. But it's by asking these questions, what do you want and why, that you end up peeling back the onion and finding out not what the person says they want, but what they really want. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. <laughs>